This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxall. I'm Bron Burton. And I'm John Ford. And we are here this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Thank you, Tim. And uh, he, I, I've run out of superlatives. I was trying... <laughs> 2015 was going to be the year of the post-modern superlative for Timothy. Oh. And I can't think of one. It's so... He's so superlativated mm-hmm. that I've lost superlatives. Brilliant show again. How do you post modern that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe what we what we don't do is we don't. We yeah, don't. we just Maybe don't. We just don't. <laughs> and you guys are well. Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. We made it here after last night's storm. Brought oh. almost stuck in Balnaring. I did. I've had a oh my god hour blackout. Yeah. Oh my wow. god. Full on. I wanna, huh? I'm going to give a really big shout out first up to um, all the wonderful people down in Balnaring and Summers and and that. Uh, Who helped you get out? Away. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I left them. I fled <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> yeah, like a brave, brave Sir Robin style. <laughs> <laughs> when the mass, most, one of the most massive storms, and I know we all. It's a wrong one. Yes. She fled, she fled away. With my coconuts. <laughs> Hang on, that didn't come out the right way. Yeah, okay, thanks. That's. Uh... <laughs> but when, um, yeah, look, um, oh, big shout out to those people, and you know who you are. And uh, yeah, my God, what a saga getting back from Belnaring. I was down there for um, a wonderful wedding. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about that a bit later because I've got a track to play that relates to this. But okay. yeah, oh my well, God. Well, stuck what, in the rain. Or? No. Hey, this morning, doesn't this morning feel like the calm after the humongous big tumult? Yeah. Like, I walked outside and there were bits of things all over our backyard. Like, you went, oh, I didn't realise that would move. You know, but, you know, it was like all that. And I just thought, wow. And to, but it's like, it's beautiful calm. Yeah. And perfect and beautiful for a Sunday. Sky. Perfect for a Sunday. It is. Hey, let's go through the program. Very exciting. 
First up. Yeah, we're going to crew Addison, uh, the president of the Victor, of the Marine um, Australian Marine Science Association Victorian branch. So <sighs> mouthful, isn't it? John? I know. To talk about um, event that's coming up on this Wednesday, of which there are only twenty or twenty-five tickets left. No so way. You will hear about them, wow. and you will get those tickets because it's going to be amazing. Um, yes, she's up first, and then we've got. Oh, Mark Rodriguez, yes. Parks Victoria. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the weather on on uh, online because um, we've we've had a little paper kind of. <laughs> someone's nicked the triple R paper this morning, so I usually read it from the Sunday Age. So I'm kind of oh. trying to piece it together as Some, we speak. I think I someone coming. No, that was a Saturday oh, Age. Someone, someone coming home from a big night and yeah, just yeah, saw, saw the paper outside Triple R and just yeah, used yeah, as an umbrella. Yeah, this like, yeah, oh. like oh, community radio. I'm part of the community. I'll just take that. Thank you very much. So anyway, um, yes, Mark Rodriguez from Parks Victoria. He's going to be um, actually joining us every. Uh, he's going to be joining us regularly to talk about some of the great work that they're doing. And uh, today he'll be talking about their new Sea Search program, which is really encouraging people to get involved. Uh, it's citizen science. We talk about that a lot on Radio Marinara and uh, an event which took place yesterday they went out to Mud Island hopefully well I'm sure it would have been before the storm came through yeah, that would have been, been there at night. was it yeah. a bit of a Gilligan's Island experience otherwise <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk to Mark about that do, 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 and then which one Mark would be Mark. Yeah, Gilligan Island. Oh, I reckon Thurston Howell the third. I reckon he probably fancies himself as a bit of a Thurston Howell let's, let's ask him, shall we? <laughs> I, I, I would personally, I would be Ginger. You want to be Ginger? I would be the movie star. Right, okay. Yeah. I'm too old for this. You, are. you don't even know what we're You're talking about. John's got this look on his face. It's like, like these people, they're talking about this thing. Um, I don't know. And then um, we're gonna, I'm going to keep this moving along. Then we're going to be crossing to Western Australia. Yeah, Professor Lyneth Beckley is going to join us. There's been 10 years, of, or just over 10 years actually, of extraordinary research into Ningaloo, the whole area of, New, of uh, Western Australia, New South Wales, Western Australia that, that um, you know, we didn't know a lot about. And there's been some fantastic... Anyway, so Professor Lyneth Beckley from Murdoch University is going to join us and fill us in on some of the amazing stuff they've learned and what they've done with it over those 10 years. Fabulous. You're going to do the weather? Oh, I'm going to have a crack at it. It's okay. not going to be my usual, you know, comprehensive thing. I'll just give a <laughs> forecast of what's happening this week. It'll have to be, actually, it'll be the weather forecast in stages because I can't kind of flip between the various web pages online. Mm-hmm. Uh, forecast for today, heading for a top of 20 degrees, morning shower or two, partly cloudy, medium, 40% chance of showers this morning, mm-hmm. wind southwesterly to 25 kilometres an hour, turning southerly to 30 in the late morning. Tomorrow, 25, mostly sunny uh, Tuesday, 20 in a possible shower. Wednesday, 23 possible shower. Thursday, 18 in a shower or two. Friday, 20 possible shower. Oh. And Saturday, 22. So, so it's autumn already. Is yeah. that, is that, what, is that what, what Do happened? we somehow miss summer? I think it's probably the first I... week since summer began where we haven't got something in the 30s, apart from that funny patch where it didn't look like summer was going to show up at didn't, all. Which felt like up. most of summer. <laughs> that year, summer never came at all. No, it wasn't good. Wow. I'll try and get the um, oh, boating do, stuff. We the boating. Yeah. Okay. You do some we'll do first. boating music. Da, 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 no, 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 da, just da, do some oh, music. Sorry. I could be doing this for <laughs> That's quite a while. Music. Well, what I'm going to do, yeah. boating music, elevator music, it's kind yeah. of the same. What I'm going to do is I've, we're going to give away. Great. And those who are here and are listening at this hour, 93881027, you must be a subscriber. And we're uh, Triple R's presenting Smart Barf. Barf? Smart Barf. From Poisons to Pestilence, Melbourne Museum offers after-hours pop-up Smart Bar is back. 
and it's said to make you queasy. Museum experts will talk about all kinds of diseased body parts, venomous critters, mysterious tales of heart-stopping poisons and stories of the disarming fictions of leprosy. Anyway, Thursday, if you can go from 6 till 9.30 at the museum, there's a double pass available for 93881027 for a subscriber right now. Or if you want tickets and you miss the double pass, which is a chance because there's lots of people online already, you can get tickets through museumvictoria.com.au. Smart barf. Barf. This, it, that, that, that is a really cool there, thing, yeah. that smart bar. <laughs> <laughs> so have you found it? No. Oh, we didn't feel full I'm, I'm going to the Swell, right. going to the swell Net website on. now. <laughs> All um, the lines are full, guys. So, um, and somebody, I think, has got it. Yep, Kent's giving me that look that says somebody's got it. Yeah. That might be Dr. Surfering into giving us, to give us a surf report. <coughs> Maybe. Have you got anything there, John, you I'll want to talk about now? I've got a piece of news. Have we got some news to yeah, that? Sure, yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll play a bit of music. Right, I mean, I just want to update everyone on the, on the um, well, in, inverted commas, quotation marks, the Super Troller. So, um... <laughs> So I just want to say that um, uh, the, the company that had the uh, Magiris, that very large 140-odd metre boat, um, a couple of years back, they got banned, and so they brought in legislation to say no more boats over 130 metres. They're bringing in a smaller ship to do pretty much um, the, the same thing. It's 95 metres called the Geelong Star. It'll be based in Geelong. Um, so there you go. I mean, Renamed? Uh, no, it's it a new. It's only nine, this one's Geelong. only 95. Yes, it, it was renamed. It was called something um, European because it was these ships are mostly from Europe. And are they from Flagged for Australia now. Yes, that they have to. You can't yeah, can't okay. fish in Australia without a, an Australian flagship without certain. Yeah, so no, they do have to be flagged. And it's here. under a hundred meters. It's ninety-five meters. Which actually, there are fish uh, fishing boats in Australia at the moment who are la- which are larger than this right. anyway. So it's not nothing new. Although uh, clearly, it's still causing um, uh, a lot of alarm um, amongst uh, recreational fishermen and um, conservation groups. So because we'll the technology is different to the big ships that already work. Well, in no, Australia. not really. It's more because it's a new fishery. Um, right. Catching fish right. that at the okay. moment aren't targeted whatsoever. They're ones that are further from land, um, which don't have a high value. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll be taking 16,500 tonnes of those um, and probably selling them overseas for a rather cheap price. And that was yeah. and they'll come back here in more value-added forms in tins or it'll um, be used overseas? Unlikely. It'll be most likely used overseas. But yeah, anyway, wow. just to update, and that's what's happening now. So that, that fishery is continuing, and there are a lot of very strict conditions put on by the Australian government in terms of trying to reduce by a catch or, um, or catch of uh, seals, dolphins, birds, and all this sort of thing. And is it a local company in Geelong that is actually bringing in it's the It's a Tasmanian company. Wow, oh, and yeah. birthing it in Geelong. Well, originally, I, I think it may be based down in Tasmania in the future. Huh. But anyway, but th- that is that situation is rolling along. Can I do oh, really yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I carried this around the last couple of weeks and haven't quite <laughs> got to it. Very exciting. Uh, new, I don't know if you saw this in mainstream media, new species of sea dragon that was discovered. Mm. I want to ask Lin- Lyneth about this because it's in Western Australia, so it's uh, it's bright red, black eyed, absolutely stunning. So of course it's got the name Ruby, because we kind of need to be a little kind of anthropo thingy, morphic, so, morphic, genic, genic. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's beautiful species of new sea dragon, believed to live in dark waters, uh, dark be, waters. beyond. Oh, that's why it's red. It's that's why it's red. So beyond normal scuba diving depth, uh, and first species of first new species of sea dragon to be discovered in 150 years. Isn't that wonderful that we if can still come across new species of... If it's living in deep, dark water and it's red with black eyes, it will be effectively invisible. That's right. Ooh, How extraordinary. The red drops out at about the 10 metre mark, so yeah. if this thing is kind of very deep... That's, How extraordinary. Yeah. But 51 metres. 
Yeah, yeah right. So it's 51. Wow. That's very So good. that is beyond red. Yeah. yeah. So how's that? That'd be cool. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm just thinking about, the, they usually live amongst what are called you know, weedy yeah, sea dragons yeah, or leaky yeah, sea yeah. dragons, and they're trying to mimic sort of, you know, the weasel. But at 51 metres, you're not going to get many. Oh, it's a bit, I mean, I guess maybe no, I some more sort of Gorgonian corals yeah. and sponges and that sort of thing. Maybe it sort of blends in. Although they're clearer water over there. Mm, yeah, that's you true. Know, I mean, it might, you may still get some plants down there, but you're anyway, right. Fascinating. How extraordinary. Yeah. How very cool. Do you know where? Uh, Is it Ningaloo? No. Because well, <laughs> then we that would tie the stories together. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly. Yeah, yeah. We'll ask. Yeah. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll I'll ask see if I can find yeah. out. Nice. Uh, here we go. It was trawled off the. Oh, uh, right. You can tell me how to pronounce this. Recherche. Yeah, Recherche. Archipelago. Archipelago. Yeah. So down south. Yep. Yep. Nice. That's named after the Frenchman. Recherche. No, Recherche. <laughs> was it Philippe? I can't remember what his first name was. Anyway, he, he mapped. Yeah. He's okay. a cartographer. He's a Frenchman with an outrageous French accent. <laughs> and we are very lucky to have in the studio Prue Addison, the president of the Victorian branch of the Australian Marine Sciences Association. Now, Prue, you have a very exciting event to tell us about today. And I hear there's only 20, maybe 25 tickets left. So, That's you know, right. we better make people excited to <laughs> grab these tickets. So by 10 o'clock... It's all sold out. That, that'd be fantastic, yeah. <laughs> so the event's called um, Showcasing Victoria's Marine Science. That's yes? right, yeah. So it's, um, it's the Australian Marine Science Association and Museum Victoria. We're co-hosting this event for the general public. And we're really excited about it. This is, a really, this is our one big event for the year to really engage marine scientists with the general public. And we're, it's at Museum Theatre so in Carlton Gardens, on Wednesday from 6 till 7.30. And we've got about a 200-seat capacity, and we've nearly filled the theatre. So this is, you know, your, your one last chance to get some tickets for Wednesday night. And so you must have some pretty amazing speakers. And so they're all, these are all Victorian-based marine scientists who are doing really neat work in Victoria. That's right, yeah. yeah. So we thought we'd sort of hand-pick some of the, the really great cutting-edge research that's going on in Victoria at the moment and share that with the general public. So we've got Mark Norman, the Director of Science at Museum Victoria. He will be emceeing the evening, and he's a really great speaker. So, I mean, people should come along just for him. But then we've got another six speakers that will be presenting their research um, and, and their work in the marine in the marine field. So we've got... Um, if, do you want me to run through them? Please do. Yeah, so we've got Tim Allen, who will be talking to us about marine conservation and what's been happening over the last year, uh, over the last 10 years since Victoria's marine protected areas were established. We've got Alicia Belgrove, who will be talking to us about seaweed superfoods. Mm. We've got Kate Charlton-Robb, who will be telling us about a new species of dolphin that was discovered in Port Phillip Bay. We have got Pete McCready, Dr Peter McCready, who's going to be talking to us about blue carbon and the potential of seagrass beds, salt marshes and mangroves and blue carbon. It's so a really, that's a really cutting-edge area, It's very it? new. So yeah. people will have to come along and find out all about, you know, what exactly, what the research is going on in Australia into that blue carbon. Can I jump in halfway through? Yeah, yeah. One of the great things about this event, because um, we were joking, talking a bit about it last week on the program, is that every single one of these people has been on radio. Marinara at some point <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but without the visual 
And so, like, there's only so much that you can do. I mean, it's great what we can do in terms of talking about it, and a lot of it sort of comes up to the individual listener to picture all of this stuff in their head. But um, this event will have... I'm assuming it won't just be talk. There'll be some incredible stuff to look at as well. Yeah, we're hoping that um, it'll be, like, TED TED Talk style, really engaging, lots of pictures, lots of, you know... The next speaker, Tim O'Hara, will be definitely showing lots of amazing, you know, maps of the world and distribution of deep-sea biodiversity. City. So, it, yeah, it's going to be a very visual yeah, event as big, well. Big wow factor. Yeah. So yeah. we've also got um, Julian Finn, who's at Museum Victoria. He's got some fantastic underwater footage, which will be showing at the beginning of the evening and also on the TVs outside uh, outside the theatre. And this is amazing footage from Port Phillip Bay, all different sorts of habitats. It's fantastic. So He's done this great little piece recently for um, with Science Works. Yes. With the dome. That's that's what it is. Looking at that online, they are so fantastic. This is, yeah, so this is his, yeah, it's been shown at ScienceWorks, but this is the first time it will be at Museum Victoria. Right. And now I've got one more speaker to mention, Jan Strugnall, who will be talking about her research into an Antarctic octopus in the Southern Ocean. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. It's not just an octopus, it's an Antarctic octopus. That's wow. Right. Yeah, so it's, yeah, a great, great lineup of speakers. It's meant to be for the general public to learn about what's going on in Victoria, our marine science at the moment. And be excited. Yeah. Excited about the moon It's science. so exciting. Yeah. And how, if I was to want to grab one of these last 20 tickets, how would I do it? Head to Eventbrite. We've got a, a web page set up on Eventbrite. Eventbrite. So it's www.amsavic.eventbrite.com.au. Great. We'll put that up on our Facebook page as well. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Prue. Thank and you. And hopefully, we'll get me. sold out by, well, very soon. That's right. Yeah. And yeah so there's only 20 tickets left. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, wow. I'm going online yeah. right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Prue. Good. Thank good. you for and, having me, John. And good luck for Wednesday. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. What a very, very, very cool event. It's going to be awesome. I think it's just, it's a great idea getting that, getting people together and listen to that kind of stuff. Hey, I've got a bit of news. It's a little bit upstream from the marine environment, but I still think it's interesting. It's using technology that's also used in waves. In Portland, Oregon, just um, seen that the, that there is a company, an electricity company working with a water company putting turbines in the water pipes. So, you know, the pipes that move water around to our houses and back and forward and everything. So they're putting generating turbines ah. in those, the ones that go downhill, not the ones that go uphill. Yeah. So as the water flows through, and it's the same technology that's in the and uh, the um, tidal-powered turbines, okay. where it just kind of it's like a spinning impeller inside the pipe. And so as you move around, the water, water's moving around a city all the time, and it generates electricity. So it's urban hydro. What extra? Yeah, urban it's, hydro. It's actually quite logical, <laughs> Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Why has no one ever thought of that before? And so the original water pressure is caused by gravity, basically, because the, the yeah. dam will be higher than, than the city. Yeah. So you've got or a big force, or they pump yeah. it up and yeah. then, anyway, and they pump it up. But, but if you think, just think about Melbourne, you think about, you know, like if you're going to, say, Northcote, which is higher than Fitzroy, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, if you're going downhill from Northcote to Fitzroy, and they designed these things years and years ago, so mm-hmm. it mostly moves flat or down as much as possible. So there's a huge, I was just thinking about the guys at Melbourne Water, have they got onto this? Because at the very least, you could make your own pumping cost neutral. 
mm. because you know you, you, you've got to pump it up here at some point. You're going to pump it up to Coburg or whatever. Um, so so if you can counteract that, because it's going to go downhill again. How extraordinary! Mm. And then I started thinking, imagine if you did this with sewage as well. Uh, Just double might, sets of pipes. You might clog the. Well, the thing is, though, eventually <laughs> the treatment plants. Oh. Let's be clear. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, no, no but let's be clear. Eventually, treatment plants just chunk it all up, right, and then yeah. sieve it out. Yeah. You know, it's, that's what they do. <laughs> they do it in very fine ways. But, you know, it'd probably chop it up a bit. <laughs> anyway, I won't, I'll leave you with that. That's great. Just, hey, if, you're, if you're having your Wheaties right now. <laughs> but what a cool thing, though. Yeah, no, it's really, really great. Really cool yes. development. Very smart. Anyway, that was mine. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got an event I'd like to um, plug very briefly. Um, it's at Melbourne University for the launch of the Melbourne Farmers Market. Uh, it's called no. Think, Eat, Talk, Grow. And it will be on this Wednesday, March the 4th, from 12 to 2 p.m. Um, on the Union Lawn at Melbourne University. Um, so there will be a farmer's market that's starting up uh, around Melbourne University. And there's some talks um, uh, which are being emceed by Richard Cornish from The Age. And there's uh, a number of university academics and also suppliers who will be give, who are having little kind of question Q&A panels. Um, there's one called Urban Farmgate, another one on wine and cheese, one on fish and meat, and another on f- uh, fruit, veggie and bees. Um, I focus on the fish side of things because um, I'm going to be there. So, oh, cool. yes. What, what are you doing? I'm going to be on the panel. Oh, yeah. So, what's it called again? Yeah. Um, okay. Think, eat, talk, grow. Yep. Um, yes, and it's at Melbourne University Union Lawn Wednesday, the March the fourth, from twelve to two p.m. If you want to hear about local food and sustainable food, so you could go from that yeah. and then kind of have a kind of extended coffee and then go head on down to Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then, and then head down to the museum. Yeah, because yep. you've got to walk through Logan Street That's to get to the museum from the U. So, so you could do that. Yeah, so you don't need to work on Wednesday. No, no it's just I take a day off work. Yeah. Just yeah. Go and indulge. Hey, so I've just had a look. Just a quick update. There are 11 tickets remaining on the AMSA <sighs> one. Full tickets. Wow. And there are 19 um, concessional AMSA member tickets left. So there's very... They're all, oh, they can, they're yeah. they can swap them around. So there's not that many tickets left. Yeah. And indeed, you are on through Triple R Radio Marinara. I've got a bit of news that I wanted to bring in because this is a very uh, interesting piece of science. A little close to your heart. It's very brain. close to my heart. Close to your brain as well. Yeah, it and relates <laughs> to uh, to limpets and <laughs> some science that was done recently. Actually, having a look at the structure of limpet teeth. And I don't know if you caught this one. It's been reported in ABC Science. But the teeth of limpets uh, have been um, labelled uh, as the world's strongest known biological structure. Oh, wow. So I would say, whoa, 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 limpets, teeth, what's I going know. on? Why do they need them? Well, so I'm glad you asked that question, John. <laughs> so limpets crawl Good across. Question. I spent six years of my life studying these little dudes. <laughs> and I didn't actually get down to actually looking at the structure of their teeth, but I did um, do a little chapter in my thesis on feeding and uh, the speed at which they feed. So you can, you can um, make or... I don't think you can buy them. You couldn't buy a hydrophone specifically <laughs> listening to limpets feeding. So that was something that I they had to make up. probably have that now online. Yeah, they probably, probably do. That, limpets know. are us. Hydrophones are us. Hydrophones are us. So anyway, they, so I was sort of listening to the speeds and the length at which they were feeding and trying to get a sense of whether that varied with sizes of animals and mm-hmm. different species and that kind of thing. And what, long-term listeners will have heard this audio <laughs> yes. on Marinara over It kind the years. of sounds like... There's a kind of scraping 
That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. That's, so the, that's so the good. teeth are used to scrape yeah. algae off the rock. That's right. And so it's it's imagine if you can imagine one of those great big digging machines that have got those um, uh, oh, small teeth, small teeth yeah, in, that kind of rotate around. Yep. Yeah. So it's a bit like that, um, but on a really tiny scale. So what they've done is actually look at the consistency of these teeth, and they found that they're a composite of um, mineral fibres known as uh, geothite. And these fibres are bound together in a type of glue of chitin, which is a natural polymer. So this was a uh, something that had previously uh, biosilk was previously known, which which spider spiders, silk, yeah, yeah spider yeah. silk was previously thought to be the strongest biological structure in the world. But now they're saying limpet teeth. Wow. So yeah. So what are the uses for the limpet teeth now? So yeah, so scientists around the world, of course, are very excited about this because yeah. they're looking at some potential applications for this, and they're hoping to be able to duplicate the structure to fabricate higher performance materials. Materials. What, like like racing cars and spaceships? All kinds of things. Well, mining and equipment, particularly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to kind of use it for the same function that limpets so Can I just for. check? It's the structure of them. Yep. Not the mm-hmm. content, not, not the, the actual materials. material they're made from. No, it's the from. material that they're it made is. from, yes. Yeah, okay. so well, probably a combination yeah. of both, but both. it's the actual, you know, the yeah. makeup. So How very, very Does, that, does that mean you're going to be getting into limpet farming, Bron? That would be fun. Is this a career direction yeah. a change? Yeah. Could you imagine <laughs> how many engineering applications you would need to build one of those big diggers for a mine? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're looking at creating <laughs> some kind of artificial um, replica. <laughs> Problem how many limpets would what, die giant, for that? Giant limpets? <laughs> Oh, farm I have to say, when I read this article, I had a fist-pumping moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally, limpets are going to be taken seriously, other than by people in, you know, marine ecology. Going, I spent the late 90s <laughs> with these limpets, and now people believe me. Yeah. That they, Good uh, on you. So I reckon that was just fabulous. Very excited. And uh, it's with great pleasure that we welcome for the first time for 2015, but certainly not for the last, from Parks Victoria, Mark Rodrigue. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, listeners. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, very well indeed. Just had a wonderful day out yesterday with an awesome group of people out at the spectacular Mud Islands checking out uh, that extraordinary part of the Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park, so I couldn't be better. Yeah, so we wanted to talk a little bit about citizen science because it's something that we do cover quite a bit on this program and it's becoming a, it's becoming a real focus, but for particularly for Parks Vic. Absolutely. We've got a program that uh, Anthony would be very familiar with, the uh, Sea Search program, which has now been running for probably coming up to 10 years or so in its own right. And it's a, it's a great way for people to actually get involved and help us to collect information, hopefully to give us some uh, useful uh, info that can guide our management and help uh, basically improve the way that we do things in parks. It's pretty important to tell the story as well as uh, collect the information that's needed to inform that. It's interesting, even the whole concept of citizen science, but particularly in the marine area, because you've you're engaging people and getting them interested and of course they'll then go back to wherever they've come from after their experience and talk to other people so there's that real sort of ripple effect of engagement but of course they're collecting data for you as well. Absolutely and look that's, that's you've, you've nailed it in, uh, in that two very very important and sort of key elements of, of good citizen science. It is about engagement. It is about having some fun and uh, certainly the group that I was with yesterday had a lot of fun, I think, uh, doing a whole range of different things. But again, important that the information is actually useful as well and is going somewhere that people care about that info and it can actually be used to help make decisions or alter the way that uh, things are actually being done. So yeah, it's a, it is a, a really fantastic thing to see citizen science taking off right across the world in, in all sorts of spheres but certainly for the marine space, there are 
are so few scientists, I guess, who are actually uh, out there sort of collecting information, the, uh, the eyes and ears of the public and the community and particularly interest groups in, in helping to contribute to that uh, knowledge base is, uh, is just fantastic. Mark, one of the, um, I, I remember Mud Island's a good case in point, I think, because many, many years ago, Mud Island was kind of perceived to be this, just this place that seagulls had taken over and there was just nothing but seagulls. And so this may be, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. And um, have you guys seen a change in the time that you've gone? And, and, you know, has the citizen science assisted in kind of plotting that change? Absolutely. And look, citizen science in terms of Mud Islands is, is, does, as you say, quite rightly, a very, very long and rich history. There's a wonderful uh, community group called the Friends of Mud Islands who've been going out there for many years and doing a whole lot of work around particularly things like vegetation and uh, they do a lot of field-based control work, so in terms of weeds, but also monitor uh, changes in vegetation that result from that. They've been doing uh, some seagrass mapping and looking essentially at seagrass health in, that, in the uh, areas, uh, both in the lagoon and the areas around Mud Islands. Uh, but uh, even further back than that, you've got groups like the uh, bird observers who, who essentially have been taking a very active interest in looking at bird populations over the years. And, yeah, certainly what you talk about in terms of lots of seagulls there, that's still very much part of the case, although this time of the year there's hardly any. Um, springtime, on the other hand, is I think it's a million and a half or something breeding oh, wow. gulls out there. It certainly creates a, a pretty interesting place to be. But the, the, thing, the thing, obviously, for people to be able to get involved and help to tell that story, um, we, yesterday we did a lot of work around... Uh, shorebird monitoring, so looking at some of the migratory birds. Uh, we had a bit of a look at some of the marine debris that uh, unfortunately washes up and comes from obviously a range of sources around the bay. Uh, we also had a bit of a look at seagrass health and uh, marine pests as well, so had a bit of a quick survey to see what was going on in the marine pest space. So all good information and certainly very important early warnings for us as managers in many ways, but also important in terms of trying to tell a story about Mud Island. Some of the debris, for example, was quite interesting, a balloon that come from a, a well-known clothing companies, our promotional activity was washed up and uh, yeah so there's a bit of a story there to tell and maybe a little bit of a, a message back to the company that balloon releases perhaps aren't that great for the marine environment. Yeah and it, that's something that comes up all the time and uh, it's it's one of those kind of you know don't mention situations because we all know these events take place and, and I think at the bottom you know everyone knows that this is where all the, the balloons end up so I think that's going to be a sleeper, it'll be one thing that eventually um, gets picked up sort of in a, in, a, in a broader sense. Uh, how did you go yesterday? So you, these four areas, seagrass health, seagrass health, marine pests, debris and migratory birds, uh, that were the four things that you were looking at. What did you find? Well, we certainly had a good look at the seagrass and again, the, the, the important one there was to look at uh, things like its flight loads or how much algae and other materials growing on the seagrass. It was really more of it, more than actually collecting the hard data itself as an introduction for people to get involved in marine monitoring and see how they may be able to, to participate in other areas in the future. Um, we had a good look at the seagrass. Uh, actually, uh, surprisingly, or not surprisingly in some ways, but uh, it was, I was pleased to see that the seagrass in the areas that we looked at was in pretty good nick. Uh, that was great. Uh, we had a look at marine pests and uh I guess compared to previous years when we've seen large numbers of Asterius or the Northern Pacific Sea Star and quite a number of other things like green crabs, um, uh, we were actually quite pleased yesterday that we hardly found any any marine pests at all. The shorebirds were there in large numbers, which is uh, what you'd expect to see at this 
summer of the year before they begin their migration back to the northern hemisphere and the debris was probably the one that was more of a concern than anything else with quite a significant amount of debris washed up on the island and again as I said there's some interest in you know some of those sources of litter where does it come from and uh, yeah as I said there was a quite interesting little uh, piece in itself that, that created a, a bit of concern for the for the people who are out there but the whole day was really about let's have a go have, have a bit of a experience in, a, in an extraordinary place but uh, see how data collection and information gathering can actually be useful to help inform management or help to help us to make decisions as a community. Hey Mark, so Mud Islands is unsurprisingly a set of islands. Um, how did you get, like, you know, people out there, you know, that you do, people can't clearly drive like you could to say one of the parks that connects to the uh, to the land? Yeah, no, good question, Anthony. Look, this has been a part of a, an ongoing program that I think you were involved with back in, in fact, uh, helped to initiate back in the day, um, the Two Bays Project now, which is actually to its 10th year. Um, this is the 10th year for the Two Bays program and Parks have been involved with the program right from the start. Uh, we've had a pretty strong interest in looking at partnerships and uh, community engagement right through um, and yesterday was a part of the Two Bays program for 2015 so we were able to board the uh, magnificent uh, Pelican One and uh, head out there and uh, able to fit 35 people on board and uh, take them all out there to the Mud Island. So yeah. Fantastic that day. Mark, what's the story with Pelican? Because every time I go up to Bermagui, the Pelican's there. Has it sort of got two homes now? Or are there two Pelicans? North Queensland as well. There is only one one Pelican, and uh, you see it here, you see it there. It's almost everywhere. It's um, up from the far tips of North Queensland, uh, Mm. working with uh, remote communities uh, up in that part of the world, right through to, you know, sort of uh, places like off Portland, uh, working with blue whales. Um, They're all over the place, basically. And uh, look, it's a fantastic uh, vehicle or vessel, essentially for getting people. It's a very stable platform. It's a good research vessel. It's a great place for meetings. It's a, a place, as uh, I've heard someone describe it, as it's the place for ocean dialogue. It's a, it's a yeah. wonderful space uh, to get people out and connect them, connect with the marine environment. So, yeah, fantastic uh, team of uh, people, um, and uh, we've been very fortunate to be able to, able to run that long-term partnership with them now for 10 years. So what's coming up, Mark, with you um, in the next... Uh, we, we're actually going to have you back on the program in a couple of weeks and talk about Friends of the Sea, uh, sorry, Festival of the Sea, <laughs> Festival of the Sea. Uh, yeah, what's what's coming up with your citizen science work, particularly for um, our listeners who might want to get involved? Well, look, you can jump online and have a bit of a look. We've got a sea search a section of uh, the Parks Victoria's uh, web uh, park web, so if you go search for Parks Vic and have a look at sea search, you'll find some things there. The program's happening all over the state. There's some very active seagrass monitoring happening down in Corner Inlet uh, with Jono and the team down there. There's some great stuff happening around Mushroom Reef uh, with intertidal monitoring, uh, a number of other locations around the bay. Uh, the, the three marine care groups in Port Phillip have been very active and, and have got their own programs. Uh, again, not necessarily uh, running we're not actually running them as such, but they're uh, running their own sort of research programs and monitoring programs at Jawbone, at Point Cook, um, and at Ricketts Point. So, look, there's lots of opportunities, and if people are interested, there's, uh, there's first, firstly jump on, as I said, to our website, but if you search for things like even Facebook on the Marine Volunteers Network, you'll uh, soon connect to uh, lots of interesting things happening around the place. And one, uh, we've just put, um, Anthony's put those details up on our website. It is right there now. <laughs> uh, and just before we go, so Festival of the Sea, because when we catch up with you, you will actually be in full swing of Festival Absolutely, of the Sea. So, yeah, yeah, to give people a bit of lead time and put it in their diaries. Oh, look, Quick plug. The Bowen Heads on the 15th, or in fact, there's a whole series of programs running from the 11th to the 15th of March, uh, culminating on the Sunday uh, with a fantastic day of, you know, music, uh, environmental expos. Uh, we've got the Minister for Environment, Lisa Neville, attending to help us 
launched uh, launched that, that particular day. But right through the week, there's activities, there's uh, canoe trips in the mangroves, there's green drinks on Friday night. If people are interested, jump onto festivalofthesea.org.au and um, you'll be able to find out all the info there. Fantastic. And it's such a wonderful day, really uh, wonderful that it's come around again. Uh, we're going to say goodbye for now, Mark, but we're going to catch up with you in a couple of weeks. But thanks so much for this morning. And, um, yeah, we've got all those details on our Facebook page for our listeners to check it out. Okay, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye for now. Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria. Citizen Science at its best. It's a a great program, then. Indeed. You're on Radio Maranoa on 3 Triple R. Look, I'm sure we've all heard of Ningaloo by now. Professor Lyneth Beckley from Murdoch University has spent a long time becoming someone who knows a lot about the scientific secrets of Ningaloo. Just over 10 years ago, Professor Beckley started a long-term research program that has really increased our understanding of that area enormously. She joins us live on the phone this morning from Perth, which I think is 6.45am her time. Hey. Good morning, Lyneth. Yeah, good morning, Ant. <laughs> Great, and thank you so much. It is 6.45 over there, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit later, and it's a beautiful morning. Beautiful <laughs> clear sky, not a cloud. The Indian Ocean is a stunning dark blue. It's a great day for sailing. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you, because we missed out on a boating forecast of Victoria, so we just got one for Perth. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yes, we've got the state championships for some classes we're racing today, so... so- Wow. I don't mind getting up early today. So you're off the radio and into a boat to race. Indeed. Fantastic. Hey, look, um, for those who don't know, why don't we just start with, you know, just where and what is Ningaloo? Um, Yeah, well, Ningaloo is about um, a thousand kilometres from Perth. If you drive up the coast, um, it extends over about 300 kilometres from the tip of um, Northwest Cape, which is fairly quite close to Exmouth, and then it runs down the coast to... Um, place roughly about Nalu, that's about 300 kilometres. And the interesting thing about the reef is that um, it's actually a fringing reef, so it's really close to the coast. So there are some lagoons, but nothing like what you get in the Great Barrier Reef. It's a totally different um, style of reef. So it's a great place. It sounds, it sounds in, in amazing. And I, I guess, how much was known about the science of the area? You know, let's just say in the 90s, you know, do we know much at that point? Um, there were some, you know, isolated expeditions up there because it is, you know, it's quite remote. Um, so there had been a few studies up at Ningaloo, a couple of studies on individual corals. Um, Chris Simpson had done some work on coral spawning. And in the 80s, um, I mean, they realised the value of this reef, so they'd... Um, in the, I think it's 1987, uh, the state government of Western Australia set up the first marine park there, and it covered about 260 kilometres of coast um, out to the end of what we call state coastal waters, three nautical miles, or about 5.6 kilometres. And there were some sanctuary zones in that, small ones, about 10% of the area. And then the Commonwealth government put Ningaloo Marine Park in the federal waters offshore of that. I think it went out to about 12, mile, 12 nautical miles offshore. Um, so that was the first, you know, there had been some work to support that, but not, not a huge amount. And then when that management plan came up for review, um, there was a lot of talk about expanding Ningaloo Reef Marine Park. And um, the state government at the time here was um, with Jeff Gallup's government, and they were very keen on putting in some marine parks, multi-use marine parks around the coast. And... Um, for my sins, I was on the Marine Parks and Reserves Authority at that time, so I was really quite involved in um, the expansion of Ningaloo Marine Park and increase of the sanctuary zones to about, I think it's about 34% of the area. Goodness. The area is not the issue, it's the quality of the area that's of issue. But um, so that, 
there was acknowledgement that we didn't really have a huge amount of science available when we did that um, ex um, expansion of the marine park. So the government, the, the Gallup government, actually put in, I think it was 20 million, um, to a group known as um, WAMSI, West Australian Marine Science Institution, and we could all tender for projects. There was a lot of work done in consultation with the managers for the region. The, at that stage, I think it was called conservation and land management, and it's subsequently gone through various iterations, and I think at the moment it's, um, uh, what is it called now, Department of Parks and Wildlife. <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably not the only state that no. has that. <laughs> and, so, and so then you guys basically have been involved, at least for the last 10 years, in building that long-term and large science understanding yeah, of, of I mean, that we're area. Not, yeah, we're not the only ones, one mm. Murdoch, Murdoch University, but as I said, there were various um, people put expressions of interest in, and so we have a, we had a suite of projects that was funded under the WAMSI um, banner. And then, actually, the federal government came to the party as well, and um, through the CSRO Wealth from Oceans project, we had a um, or program, we had a Ningaloo collaboration cluster. And, in fact, the work that we did from Murdoch, quite a few of us actually got funded to, through that. And that was very successful and actually lent, lent to a big model um, for, for Ningaloo, taking into account the biodiversity, the social economic data, oceanography, etc. Beth Fulton from the CSRO put together that amazing uh, model. So we've come a long way there. And so in some of the stuff, to, to, to make models like that, you would have to know what, what the habitats are like and mapping it. I understand you also did human use mapping. Yeah. Um, I, How I do you do that? I suppose it really came from my early work working on recreational fishing and mapping that um, in South Africa. And then when I came here, I started to do that here. And Ningaloo was a really great opportunity for a large-scale, um, you know, broad-scale study across 300 kilometres of coastline. So I had an excellent PhD student who worked with me on this project, Claire Smallwood, and some various research assistants. And we basically lived at Ningaloo. I hired a house in Exmouth and then operated from there. So the main, to get a broad-scale um, sort of approach, we started off with um, aerial surveys. So we flew a couple of times every month, and we sort of stratified it by week weekend and weekday. And so, like, down low, so, I mean, obviously not flying up high because you want to no, be able to see what people are doing. Feet. 500 feet along the coast. the eyes. <laughs> or the red. <laughs> and so you can map, then, what people are actually doing on yeah, the beach. Yeah, I mean, beach. we've got, you know, nowadays we don't use sextants and things like that. We have... <laughs> GPS and also fantastic software for, for GIS, Global Geographical Information Systems. So we can, as we fly, we record and photograph what we see. And so you see a boat you know, fishing, a boat anchored, um, five people suntanning, three people wow. fishing. It's very popular. And were there many? I mean, I'm thinking you, know, you just described this as a long way away from, well, certainly from where we are, but from Perth as well. There's a long way away from major population centres. Are there a lot of people up there doing a lot of things? Yeah, especially in the winter months. Right. You know, because it's really nice and warm up there when it's miserable down south. You should go from Melbourne in winter. It's great. Oh, I bet mean, it's wonderful. Are there pulses of things that happen? Like, I mean, are there different cohorts? Is it school holidays when you know, most people are there? Or Well, yeah, school holidays. So Easter, school holidays. Um, uh, let's see, Easter, school holidays. But then we have the so-called grey nomads oh, okay. who, use, who camp along the coast. And we've, we've studied that camping in quite a lot of detail. In fact, I had a... a Following on from this first study, we had a PhD student that looked at, um, you know, how campers value that coast and whether they into sort of environmental type things or what. So that was another interesting um, 
And so once you guys understand the uses and the basics of it, you can start to kind of understand the resilience of, the, of those environments to change? Is that um, what happens? Yeah. We, so in it, before we do the resilience stuff, we really need to, to have the very good habitat mapping. So my colleague from Murdoch, Karina Cobran, led this project, and we, it's really, it really was quite a world first, well, the biggest area ever mapped of coral reefs by this technique called hyperspectral imagery, which is hyper means lots of, and it means you have lots of bands. <laughs> that you can use for mapping. So we mapped the whole reef at 3.5 metre pixel size. So Which is pretty high resolution. Impressive, yeah. It's, it's huge data set. And what's interesting is if inter- your listeners are interested in it, they can go to a really nice website that's been developed by Australian Institute for Marine Science called um, ningaloo-atlas.com. We're going to have to come back and talk more about this, Linda, because there's so much information. So ningaloo-atlas.com.au. No, .org. .org.au. Because yeah. we've run out of time this morning. We've run morning. out of time. I know. I've been sailing now. Well, <laughs> you can go sailing now. Thank you so much. Bron's got a very quick question she wants to ask you about something related. No, no thank we'll, you, pardon. We'll save it for next We're time, We're going to save it for next time. Um, fa- thank you so much for joining us this morning and an awesome and great successful program. Okay. We'll see you again soon. Will do. Bye. Um, just to, oh, I guess we should thank our guests first. So, Peru Addison from AMSA, uh, Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria, and um, Professor Lyneth Beckley from Murdoch University. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.